Open the word of God with me, please, to the Song of Solomon, the fifth of the so-called poetic books between the history books and the prophets, prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets, Song of Solomon. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we open the pages of Scripture and step onto holy ground. We thank thee for inspired wisdom preserved to us by the labors, lives, blood, sweat, and tears of many men before us. We thank thee that we have a revelation from heaven in this book, and I pray that no person present or that hears this later will turn their ear away from the hearing of the law lest their prayer be an abomination to thee. Humble us before your precious word and lead us to have better marriages. For we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our glorious husband, that you will bless us. In his name, amen. 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 Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love is better than wine. Chapter 4 and verse 11. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. And the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. Allow me to speak to you about the marital use of lips, mouth, and tongue. The topic is so important that it may take a few weeks to properly learn and apply the Bible's wisdom. There is an oral technique that will blow your spouse's mind and cause him or her to shout with joy. Great lovers know how to use their lips, mouths, and tongues to win and overwhelm a spouse. You are not born with this knowledge, and it must be taught. So we will let the Bible be our manual. Many especially men, will think a lesson in better oral sexual technique must be at hand. Yes and no. Your lips, mouth, and tongue affect your marriage, including sex, far more by the noise they make. Kisses are nothing and can be irritating, only perfunctory pecks without romantic words around them. I want to talk to you today from the Bible about romantic speech. It is oral lovemaking. Forget the facts of life or the birds and the bees, which are two idioms for sexual instruction. You need the fact of life to enhance your love, romance, and marriage pleasure. It is a sure fact 
that both men and women are greatly affected by words spoken to them. Men are achievers, and they need it recognized about their leadership and achievement by a woman who reverences them. For just a few dollars, it is easy to get a better-looking woman to perform anything oral that you're thinking about other than words. This is a tremendous subject. Tremendous. Women are made for men, and they need their verbal reassurance. To a woman, it's a fact of life that the words around and during lovemaking are more than half her pleasure than the act. Men are very different. They derive maybe 95% of their pleasure from the act. Who cares about words? But if they care about their spouse, they will care about the words. Men that expect sex without words misuse their wives and turn the good thing that God created into cruelty. Now that you're not sweating, get excited with me. This is huge. Words by your mouth, lips, and tongue. What are the three organs in the book of Proverbs by the same writer? Lips, mouth, and tongue, referring to speech. And so it is oral lovemaking. And it's tremendous. And it's very important for both spouses to realize seduction is achieved easily and most often by speech and words than any other way. Real seduction, which gets the other party's heart, is done by words. It's a fact of life. Right now my point is the fact of life about love. The fact of love is the importance of words and what's communicated. Learned men... Know that the L word is the fastest way to win a woman, for good or bad. The L word. One word. Credible. Isn't it amazing? Do you know the density of your conversation before you got married to the person you're married to on how often the L word was used? Is it as dense now? Try it sometime having to preach on marriage to your wife. Lord help us. Wise parents limit their daughter's communication and warn about oral seduction. Words are the most powerful tool a woman also has for love, not her body or its offer. To get another guy and to get his heart, it's through words. We're going to find that out from the Bible. I'm just telling you the fact. We all know it. It's taught in the Bible. I just used the two verses from the Song of Solomon to make you sweat. They are in the Word of God. And their use there is different than the use I have for them right now. The use I want you to think about when the time that we have today is your speech towards your spouse and the words that you use towards your spouse. Words are powerful. 
Men know how to use that L word. A woman can win by flattery a man. Think about texts, calls, emails, notes, cards, whispers, adoration, promises, all the things that we do in communicating words to someone of the opposite sex, and this is to our spouse. Never before, not even close, can a person, any person, send or receive words with any other person. And so this is just a little warning for parents. Never before. Not even close. To this generation, the previous generation, have there been so many devices to get words to your girls or to your guys from forward girls. Never before. And they win the heart. How did Absalom steal the heart of the entire nation of Israel away from his father? His father was infinitely superior to Absalom on his best day. But he stole the hearts with sweet nothings whispered in their ears because it said he hugged them and kissed them and told them how much more he would love them than his father did. Enough on that. Rejection. I mentioned seduction. Let's think of another word. Rejection and hurt and pain are also accomplished quickly and lastingly by words said. Love, joy, hope, and peace, which we want in our marriages, are replaced by pain through cruel, critical, and resisting speech. A man wants to be treated like a hero and a champion, wise, powerful, capable, and he wants to hear it. He needs to hear it. Your spouse will probably not ask you in those words to do that for him. So I'll do it for him. He is your superior in all those measures. You should tell him so. Often, it's how you reverence him. It's how you honor him. And it'll bring rewards, and it pleases God. On the other side, women have their souls sliced by comparisons, criticisms, negativity, and harshness. Slice them. Cut them. You would never do it before you got married. But it sure gets easy after you're married. Men have been broken, hurt, neutered, and angered or angered by saucy, nagging resistance. They want to be followed. You follow a man, and he'll be a great leader. You resist a man, and you will break him down. And it's words. It's words. Don't don't think about your housekeeping. We can get it done better very cheaply. Don't think about your lovemaking. We can get it done better very cheaply. Think about your words. Because by your words and your heart, you can exceed any other woman, and there is no comparison that I can then draw. 
It's by words and love, by giving your heart and your words of worship to your husband. You say, I don't like the word worship. Then duke it out with the Lord because he chose the word reverence. I'm not mad at anyone. I am mad at our world. I'm not mad at anyone in here. I want us to have the best marriages. And the Lord in his providence, this is what you get today. I have as big of a verbal engine as anyone in here. I am as harsh, critical, sarcastic. I'm speaking to all of us. Of course I'm 61 and I try to rule it. Of course I think I have a better marriage over the last year than Joshua and Natalie. I wish we were all competing. Right. And this is the way we want to compete. Those other ways that you thought I was headed down that path, there are better ways to compete right. that make that better. Right. Especially for women. Words are incredibly powerful. And how they are presented can enhance them even further. Attentive, kind, loving words can fill the soul with love and joy to respond strongly. Because we're all responders. Mm -hmm. Cruel, harsh, critical, negative, saucy, sarcastic, resisting words can crush the spirit. Not very many husbands are going to say to their wives, you've crushed my spirit. It just happens. I want to crawl into that house. You don't want to know what I want to do to a woman that does that to her husband. The Lord's going to do it for me in this world and the next. And I thank him for that. I love him for that. I believe the marital relationship just the way the Bible presents it. From Genesis to Revelation. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care what everyone else thinks. I don't care what you think works. I don't care what books Amazon sells. This is the only book I care about on this subject. And I believe it implicitly, explicitly, completely, and totally. And I know that wives should reverence their husbands, and that requires and includes a lot of words. Let me say those adjectives again. Cruel, harsh, men or women. Men or women, cruel, harsh, critical, negative, saucy, sarcastic, resisting words can crush the spirit. Think about this for enough seconds or minutes to grasp the romantic power of speech. Words are very romantically and sexually powerful. They express love. They can light up a soul. We're responders, and we respond to words. Words could get a nation of Europe in 1930s to do anything for their leader. Mark my reverence. Words are powerful. And I want you to embrace them. The Bible says, death and life from the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So you've got it right there in your hand. You can improve your marriage, you can hurt your marriage through words. They're incredibly powerful. Think about this. Harsh words during the day. Here's a man. Harsh words during the day, yet expecting passionate sex at night. 
is insanity, stupidity, selfishness, and violence. He's an abuser. He's a misuser of women. To mistreat her verbally and then expect her to respond sexually. Let's not have that ever true in any marriage here. Criticism of a husband. Let's take the woman. Criticism of a husband, no matter how minor your criticism of your husband, is part why he is not the man you wish he were. Because you have hurt him. You've undermined him. You've stolen his manhood. You're neutering him. You're resisting him in his palace, in his castle. It's his castle. I don't care if you paid for it. It's his castle. He's king. He's the ruler. Reverence him. It's the Bible in both Testaments. Resisting a husband is like speaking evil of dignities or despising dominion. Beware. You know it deserves some of the harshest words of the New Testament when dealing with that particular sin. Now, some of you, and I'm sorry about this, but it's just a fact. Some of you were born to monsters or rip witches. Some never have had their cruel spirit, moods, or speech crushed by someone in authority. Your parents didn't do it to you, and they should have. When I say that you were born to a monster or a witch, I mean an abusive father or an insubordinate mother, or both. You're behind the eight ball, and I'm sorry, but God is in charge of all those events. And you can change, and you can flush your family heritage and do it God's way. So, if you were born in a situation like that, you are not a lover. By emotional or social genes, you don't have them. You're deformed in personality and temperament. You're cruel. You're harsh. You're insensitive. You think emotion is weakness. You think romance is effeminate. Oh, it is. I'm so thankful to be romantic toward my effeminate wife. I've never really wanted a masculine wife. So I've always appreciated that effeminate things get me a female response. Oh, yeah. Come on. Men and women are not equal. And they don't think alike. But we got to learn how to think like they think in order to please them and take care of them the way the Lord wants us to. Some of you have had very insensitive, harsh, cruel, unloving, unaffectionate fathers. And guess what? You are, without a miracle, as great as the lame man leaping up and dancing. You're just like him. And so you've got to let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God change you. Women, some of you were born to nagging, resisting, questioning, explaining, criticizing women. Mothers. And so you think it's normal because that's what you grew up hearing. It's not right. It's sick. It's repulsive. It's odious. It undermines men. It undermines marriages. I want our marriages to be wonderful in the sight of the Lord for the glory of God. If you grew up under bad parents, you are emotionally and socially handicapped. 
You have habits now that are bad. You are ignorant because you don't perceive and discern how you should think and respond. Learn divine truth with me from the Bible. You think your speech is okay because it's your habit. You think your speech is okay because it's your sinful lust. You think your speech is okay because it's your vile concept of principle. There really isn't that much principle between Sherry and me. It's another P word. Passion. It's not principle. I'll show her principle when she needs it. But I'm not going to talk to her very much about principle. She can follow me and we'll take care of principle. But I want passion. I want pleasure. I want peace. So I don't beat her around with principle. That's just cruel and harshness under a, under a word that you're using to cover your pride. You want others to accept you as you are. This is the, a person, male or female, man or woman, husband or wife, born under poor parents and who have developed bad habits. You want others to accept you as you are, but God demands that we all change to be what we should be. Amen. There isn't place for you to be what you are. It's to be what God wants us to be. By nature, you'll never speak right or righteous, so it's got to be taught and embraced. And so we go into the Word of God, and we're going to go into the Word of God to learn it. You can change your speech today by the power of God's Holy Spirit and His words. Your spouse hopes you will change because of the pain they have never told you. I speak for them right now on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will speak for them in just a few years when you meet Him. Your spouse hopes you will change because of the pain they have never told you. We hope you will change because we can see your spouse's face and countenance. If saved, you have God's spirit and you can do this. You better change your speech today for God will judge now or later for it. Remember, he that turneth away his ear from the hearing of the law, his prayer shall be abomination. I have seen the tears at my altar, and I will not receive your gift. If you have called a brother a name without a just cause, leave thy gift and go make peace with thy brother. I will not receive your gift. If a husband doesn't dwell with knowledge and treat his wife with honor, his prayers will be hindered. Do you know how many verses in the Bible combine together to tell us about the importance of our marriage relationship and the speech that is in it. Right. You do not have a right to continue foolish and sinful habits. Repent. You lose by being the obstinate, cruel monster you are, and you cost others. Do not wait for your spouse to change. Selfish. Do not wait for your spouse to change. Change yourself to change your spouse. And don't even think about the second half of that equation or that sentence. Just change yourself. No two people are alike. Every snowflake is different, so you've got to learn two people. You and her. Or him and you. First, you've got to learn yourself that you have temperamental faults that are noxious. Second, you must learn your spouse temperamentally so you respond as they desire and treat them the way that gets the most from them for their pleasure and yours. Turn to the book of Proverbs now. Let same writer... Solomon, our king, the preacher. And let's, let's do this. Look at Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, where the Proverbs really get cranking. 
Before that, they're longer and they're explaining the value and place of wisdom. And then the pithy little observations come in chapter 10. Here's what I want to do for just a couple of minutes here at this point. The Bible teaches speech rules in general for us. Let's apply it to marriage. So we're going to read some speech verses out of Proverbs and we want to thank marriage. This is the power of speech. This is the fact of life that we've just finished. That first point was the fact of life. The fact of life is that words are incredibly powerful. Oral lovemaking is by far the weightiest lovemaking. It wins hearts. It wins minds. It wins lives. Words. Not acts. Acts have not, they do not win. It's words. Okay, Proverbs 10, verse 6. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. There's the word mouth used differently for speech. About blessings upon a good speaker and violence a poor speaker. Verse 11. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Your words can produce life or they can produce violence. They can hurt or they can build up. There, now, do you know how many I have? I have 25 of these and I've just taken a tithe of Proverbs, as you know. But look at that. Look what's in the power of the tongue just with chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. Look at verse 14. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. You destroy your marriage. You destroy another person with your mouth. It's the mouth. Look, and we're not talking about kissing, nibbling. We're talking about speaking. Look at 13.3. Proverbs 13, 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. Do you want to keep your marriage? Do you want to make it better? Then keep your mouth. But he that openeth wide his lips, well, I can say anything. Listen, she's been married to me now for 41 years. Sherry, you should be used to it by now. You know, I'm just who I am. I was hoping I didn't have to marry him. Oh, I wasn't that way before we got married. Just like you weren't. Oh, the sweet nothings that you were capable of before you got married. You could take a pen and a piece of paper and get so creative so fast, and it would just flow. All the promises that you were making and the adoration that you had for this other person. What happens? Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Words. Solomon, he did have a little bit of experience with women. I think that maybe some of these played into that, his knowledge of women. 13.3, I have read, I believe, he that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Notice the power in the tongue, but let's think maritally. Let's think about you and your spouse. Chapter 10 and verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselor of peace is joy. Oh, I've jumped. Back to chapter 10 and verse 20. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. Choice silver is the tongue of the just. The heart of the wicked is little worth. 
We want words that are choice silver. Chapter 12 and verse 6. The words of the wicked are to lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them. Notice, words in the first clause, mouth in the second clause. There's a bloody, violent way of talking and dealing with the mouth, and there's an upright way of using your mouth. Verse 14, a man shall be satisfied, satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. You can be satisfied with good. Your marriage can be better with words. I'm sorry that your parents didn't use words, kind words, good words, loving words, precious words, adoring words, gentle words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you haven't had a habit developed. Let's learn it right now from God's word. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. The consequences of speaking right. It's precious. Look at 18. Chapter 12 and verse 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Think maritally. Think about the man first. Are there men that slice their wives like the piercings of a sword and leave their wives bleeding as they walk out and think they haven't done anything wrong? Absolutely. Can that man learn to use his tongue to be healthful? Healthful. Increase her health. Make her stronger, better, happier. Can he? That's what it's written for. What is Proverbs 12, 18 in the Bible for? But for what I'm telling you right now, what about a woman? There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. She resists. She questions. She tosses her head. She says disrespectful things. She slices her husband's heart. She was made for him. He was not made for her. He is not her child. He is her Lord. And she slices him. But the tongue of the wise is health. She could build him up and he would be a great man, a great leader, a great lover. You want to resist women? Destroy your own lives. I'm telling you the solution. And it's not what you want because you want to fight and thinking that fighting can protect your life and protect your half of the marriage. That is the opposite of the truth. Show me a Bible verse that says that. Wise one that is thinking those thoughts, and I know that that wells up in a woman's heart, I need to protect myself. If I just honored him all the time, he'd run right over. No, he wouldn't. He's a member of this church. You're a liar. You lie to yourself, and you believe it, but we won't believe your lies. There's a verse. It's a, it's a tremendous verse about the general power of speech that we want to apply to marriages for the moment, for this time. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. There is sarcastic, negative, critical, slicing, disrespectful, saucy, snotty ways of talking that from either spouse hurt, slice, damage, destroy. But the tongue of the wise is health. They choose their words carefully, and it's always positive and uplifting every time they can. Now, because I don't feel like going any further right now in my long list here, let's see, we made it to number six out of 26 points I want to make about speech in general. Let's just listen to James. You say, let's go to the New Testament. Here's what James says about 
your oral abilities. I'm going to read it to you. It's all contained in seven verses. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. I'm going to read the adjective phrases that he has for your tongue. Your tongue, your lips, and your mouth. Starting in verse 5. James said that your speech is a fire. Not your spouse's, yours. Think about yours. Your speech is a fire. It is a world of iniquity. There are ten phrases in James chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. It is a world of iniquity. Your marriage has a world of iniquity in it, and it's not what you watch on television. It's in your mouth. It defiles the whole body. Well, now, if it defiles the whole body, I guess we're going to trust James and what he said. It affects your marriage. It sets on fire the course of nature. It starts fights that affect your whole being. It is set on fire of hell. It is untamable. Your mouth is what I'm talking about. It is an unruly evil. It is full of deadly poison. You bless God and curse your spouse, and it brings forth sweet and bitter at the same place. So you come to church and you show us the sweet. You go home and you show us the bitter. Those are ten things. Can you grip the importance of the words you use with your spouse? From a passage like this. This is God's instruction to us in general about speech, but we're taking it and applying it to marriage. And I'm going to end there for the moment. I said good oral technique could take a long time. I hope you're with me. How about the Bible and what it says about speech for love? Okay, let's go to Proverbs, to Genesis, Genesis chapter 34. Genesis chapter 34 and see what it says there. How did Shechem, an uncircumcised pagan, win Dinah? with her 12 brothers. How in the world did that happen? Genesis chapter 34. How did Shechem win Dinah? It tells us in the Bible. Genesis 34, 3. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly to the damsel. Oh, so when you love someone, you speak kindly to them. You knew that very well before you got married. We were so creative that the world ever saw what we wrote and drew to each other. I remember, I hope that this may help a little bit. I don't know. I seldom do anything like this. Let's see if I can find it in the Song of Solomon. I remember explaining to my wife why she was an only child. My dove, my undefiled is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. Oh, so good. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm, I'm saying it to you. Guess what I happen to know about all of you? You are just as good. Lord, help us. It says, he spake kindly unto the damsel. 
So he, he, this, this uncircumcised pagan got the sister of the 12 fathers of Israel. And this, here's how he did it. He loved the damsel and spake kindly unto her. Well, it's nothing new. We've all known that. You're really kind, and a girl will do anything. It's the way of a man with a maid. It's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 19. The Bible gives other examples of kind, comforting speech. This is how a man seduces or wins a woman, but we only mean it virtuously for good in what I'm teaching here from the Bible. So the Bible does tell us about speech for love in this example right here in Genesis chapter 34. How does a woman seduce a man? Look at Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, what's the most powerful part of a woman's arsenal to win a man? What is it? And if you were to read sex manuals of the world, they're all wrong because it's different. It's, and I'll show you right now. Solomon knew all about it. And he warned in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 about the danger of women because of it. We know about Samson. We know about other, women that, other men that went down at the hands of women, but it wasn't their hands. Here's how they went down. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Flattery, praising, excessive praise of a man is a powerful thing. Solomon was as great as a man could be. How could any woman add anything to him? It didn't matter. Just hearing it. Dale Carnegie has said, the most beautiful sound in any language is a person's own name. The power of words. And here is flattery. 2.16. We can flip over to chapter 5 and verse 3. In 2.16, it was her words... In, in 5.3, the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Her words of flattery. Chapter 6 and verse 24. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Chapter 7 and verse 5. That they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. It's her mouth. It's her words. It's her speech, it's her texts, it's her emails, it's her phone calls, and so forth and so on. A woman's words have great power, not just her body. Look at chapter 7, which is an extended proverb, it's a parable, about an adulteress seducing a young man. And it says, I'm not going to read the whole thing, I want to get verses 21 and 22. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. Not by what she wore. Not by what she did. She hasn't done anything yet. With her, She's kissed him. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. You say, who chose those? God chose those words. Right. Solomon chose these words. A woman can force a man if she'll learn how to flatter him. And in marriage, flatter him all you want. I can't find flattery as a sin in the Bible when it's a wife to a husband. Go for it. And the opposite is true as well. Right. And in and, and the Song of Solomon, 
There's a lot of flattery. With her much fair speech, verse 22, he goeth after her straightway. He immediately follows her as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Well, what did she... And then verse 26 says, For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. An adulteress, a strange woman, has wounded many men and has slain many strong men. And how did she do it? Verses 21 and 22 with the emphasis on 21. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. This is the wisdom of God's word. And here comes the little Christian woman. I don't think so. Why do we have to do it your way all the time? Where are you going now? Why aren't you going to spend this? Why aren't you going to spend tonight with me? Don't you know that I need quality time? Just oh, what if she? What if she tried the Song of Solomon on? He wouldn't want to go anywhere. Do you know why men go somewhere else? It tells us in Proverbs. They want to get away from that nagging sound at home, the continual dropping of her mouth. Her mouth. Her mouth. Okay, in this parable, where what did she say? Let's go back and find it. It's in verses 15 and 18. Of course, there's other words and verses and sentences around it, but she said in verse 15, Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. You're the one I want. You're the only one I want. I'll do anything to be with you. I'll do anything to have you. I'll do anything to get you. Look at the words. Therefore came I forth to meet thee. I'll go anywhere to be with you. No matter where we are, I'm happy when I'm with you. Diligently to seek thy face. I just want you. And I have found you. I've got you. Verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let's make love all night. Let us solace ourselves with loves. Why doesn't a woman talk that way? It works a whole lot better. And yet, what in the world happened? Was it the, the witch you were born to? You've built bad habits and your husband isn't quite as mean as me. So he's let you get away with, I'm doing his dirty work for him, and I'm doing yours, lady, ladies. Listen, this is the work. What do, we, what do we use this thing for? Because we want to know that regeneration comes before faith? Let me tell you that that's just about worthless for pleasing God. Because you know what? Unless you're born again, you don't even know what I'm talking about. And that's already taken place. What we want to do is please God. And it's not an intellectual assessment, collection, collation of Bible doctrines. It's learning things like this and putting it into practice. Nobody likes regeneration in front of faith more than I do. Go look on our website. But it doesn't help us live the Christian life. This is the wisdom of God's word right here. How we talk to each other. Remember the fact of life. Now you have your experience confirmed by Scripture. We've looked at how Shechem won Dinah. We've looked at how a strange woman can get a man. Look at the number of references, and I didn't give them all to you. I just gave you some. 
any man can win a woman or vice versa by gently using kind and adoring words. Because we're Christians, this power and skill is only to be used for and in marriage. How can a beauty queen be a 2,000-pound filthy, grunting, and stinking sow? Lacking discretion. Right. What does discretion mean? Saying the wrong things at the wrong time. And guess what? And I, I don't want to say that one. Let's just put it this way. If you're not a beauty queen and you don't have discretion, then what are you? If you're a beauty queen and you've got to open this, you've got to make a noise, then you're a 2,000-pound, filthy, grunting, stinking sow with a piece of gold in its nose is what Proverbs 11.22 teaches us. If you're not that beauty queen, then you just don't have the gold. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's what the Word of God says, and we all know that it's true. What can the world not stand? Regardless of her shape, her bust, waist, hip differential, regardless of her shape, her hair, or her makeup, what can the world not stand? An odious woman when she is married. What is an odious woman? Mouth. Words. What can a man do to lose his wife, then his life, then his wife to his enemy's bed? Who am I speaking of? Nabal. A fool. Churlish. Churlish. Negative, critical, cutting, sarcastic. God took him out of the way and gave Abigail to David. Turn to the Song of Solomon now, and let's look at oral technique. Song of Solomon. Now, in the Song of Solomon, because of the nature of this song, they speak a great deal. The majority of the verses, and I believe there's 122, because it, because it took John Gill two and a half years to take one verse per Sunday to spiritualize this book into oblivion. The majority of the verses are words from the spouse, words from the husband, sometimes to each other, other times about each other. Right. And I don't want the ones about each other. We'll get to them at some other time. Right now I want a few examples, just to show you an example of them to each other. Like verse 3 of chapter 1. If you're at chapter 1, she speaks to him. Chapter 1, verse 3, Because of the savour of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Everyone loves you. Oh, that'd be a terrible thing to say to my husband. I haven't, have you said anything better than that to him? Therefore do the virgins love thee. She, speaking to him, verse 7, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? I only want to be with you. There is no guy like you. There is no man like you. I have the best. These are the words. Right. Excuse me. I do not 
understand rebellious women that have been baptized. This church, the men and I, have learned how to submit to our government. And we reverence our government. And we reverence the previous president. And we would have done him honor. And we did do him honor. I don't understand how some of you women can't rule your mouths. Okay, time for he speaks to her. In chapter 1, verse 8, If thou knowest not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. We will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. You are so beautiful. I'm so thankful that I have the prettiest wife in the whole world. Everywhere I look, nothing is as beautiful as you are. You make jewelry look so good, I want to get you some more. It's basically what it says, and we could go on. That's chapter 1 of the Song of Solomon, where they're speaking to each other. It's words. It's oral lovemaking. It's what the Bible emphasizes. It's we have death or life. Amen. In the power of our tongue. What should a man stop thinking? Just a few examples. I have a long list. That she can read your mind. Well, she should know what I'm thinking. Then she wouldn't be a woman. And she wouldn't be nice. She doesn't know what you're thinking. So she needs communication. That she thinks it all like you. That's why she's a woman. She doesn't think like you think. That logical explanations will help the situation. These are things a man should stop thinking. Well, I'll just sit her down and explain the logical situation that we have here. And that'll settle it and take care of everything. That isn't a relationship. That's why Eugene the engineer doesn't know anything about relationships and flunks at all. Just flunks. Because relationships are dynamic and they are emotional and they need passion and sensitivity, empathy, kind and comforting words, not logical explanations. There's, there isn't logic to relationships. There, there really isn't logic as to why Jacob had to have Rachel and would serve seven years for her. It's not logical. It's flat-out passionate. Right. And it's what makes marriage wonderful. I, I, I've tried. I've tried at men's meetings. I don't know if I ever get a, anything across, but I try. I love logic. I love rows and columns of spreadsheets. But there ain't anything logical over there. <laughs> and I don't want her to be logical. Because if she were logical, she wouldn't want to be married to me. So come on, let's just think through the whole thing. Anna, somehow I got her. Just keep batting those eyes and be who you are. Br brothers and sisters, I want us to have the best. That testimony we heard from Joshua and Natalie early, earlier, those are words that please me very much. I know they please the Lord very much. I hope they encourage all of you as well. This thing right here is not for kissing or nibbling. 
as much as for forming words, kind words, good words, comforting words. Oh, can a woman respond? Dinah responded to Shechem. Oh, can a man respond? Look at the book of Proverbs, and there's no logic in it. There's no logic in why this beautiful adulteress would say such flattering things to the young man. It's not logical. Relationships aren't logical, never have been, never will be. They're emotional. I am sorry if you grew up in an unemotional home or the emotion was about things other than relationships. There's many things that men shouldn't think. What could a man say to his wife? I love you. I am sorry. You're gorgeous. I miss you. What are you thinking? And want to listen. I was wrong. You were right. I need you. You're an amazing woman. You look and feel like a teenager. I want to learn you better. I'm glad you're my wife. Many more to come. Many more to be published. What could a woman say to her husband? I love you. I adore you. But what if I don't adore him? Get over yourself. You're in love with yourself and you need to get over yourself. You picked the one that you adored and you married him. Adore him. I thank God for you. You're the best man I know. I am the happiest woman alive. You are a great leader. I admire you. I am sorry for ever resisting you. You are an awesome man of God. You look awesome in that. Our bed is my favorite place in the whole world. I am sorry. You still take my breath away. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word for us to have better marriages by using our lips mouths and tongue to form words that build up our spouses and provide health to our marriages, not death, destruction, and violence. Have mercy upon us, Lord, and bless us. Amen.